When I say composer, what do you think? Who do you think of? Do you think of powdered wigs and tailed coats? Maybe you think of modern composers and the soundtracks to blockbuster movies. Either way, who is the person you think of? A man, a white man. Ella is neither of those things, and she is here to make more room for marginalized people in the world of composing. She grew up surrounded by music, both parents in the jazz scene, encouraging her to test and try and create music without risk of wrong. Being told everything you create is valid. Along the way, Ella lost her passion to create, but a little boy named Marvelous helped bring her back. Now she has a drive to change the face of composing and boost equity. Along the way, content warning: there is mention of pregnancy loss in this episode around the twenty-one minute mark. For more about Ella, check the show notes on balancingcultures dot com. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter for bonus content and updates. But let's go ahead and start the conversation. I'm Megan Kitchen, and this is Balancing Cultures. So, welcome Ella to Balancing Cultures. Oh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So we are. You're one of my like a friend of a friend. Someone said you have to talk to Ella. Yes. And then I looked you up, and I was like, yes, I do need to talk to Ella. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing! Yeah, my friend Beth, she talked to you, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, she got off. I think she got off the call, and she was just like, "Ella, you need to, you really need to do this one." And I was like, "Oh, okay, put me in touch." Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fun because you're also a podcaster. You just finished your first season. Yes. So congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. But in your kind of everyday life, your kind of bigger career is not podcasting. It is actually composing. Yes, I'm a composer. That's like an eternal job that's like always been around. You're in one of those generational occupations. You know what? No one can see my smile, but I'm grinning from ear to ear right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I've never thought of it that way actually, but it feels to me like a job that you know. You say, "Oh, I'm a composer to somebody," and it's fifty fifty whether they're going to say what, <laughs> what's that? But yeah, it's something you know. Music has been around. For the entirety of our lives, and yeah, I'm someone who creates music, and I love it. Music's been around, you know, before writing. Mm. Before yes. written word, there was spoken and sung word. Yes, the oral tradition. Yeah, and word and song together because the song helped the mem the remembrance of the words. You know, that they, they both they really really melded together and grew together. So it's, it's awesome to finally. Meet someone who actually does this. Oh, I'm thrilled. Oh, I'm so I, excited. You've you've basically blown me away. I'm a bit like, oh yeah, okay. I suppose I am part of that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, no, it's it's. I mean, it's something I've I've never really had the opportunity to think about whether I would do anything else. I've always written music. It's always been part of me and part of my life. And um, 
So yeah, it feels very normal to me, but at the same time, I've really had to fight to kind of to do it and fight to to get on the right path to get to the right places. Well, let's go ahead and kind of dig in to that. The culture around composing is something completely new to me. But there's a quote on your website that got my attention. It says, and it's from a reviewer, Ella openly challenges a lot of long-standing preconceptions about who a composer is. So I guess let's open that up. What are these preconceptions? What is considered the norm within the composing culture? Yeah. So to be really, really blunt, male and white. Male and white. So we're talking like Mozart. Yeah. And dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> male, white and dead. That's that's what people think composers are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, in terms of the, the, the composers in the contemporary tradition who are, you know, working now and building bridges across genres and, you know, really making the music for themselves and for an audience that, you know, we're really having to kind of rebirth classical music, at least, you know, I'm talking about the Western, actually, I'm going to try not to say it in a colonialist way, (laughs) talking about (laughs) European, (laughs) white European (laughs) um, classical music here. In the last sort of couple of centuries, we've really had to push to get our audiences back up and you know, reinvent it essentially. And I feel like it's, I feel like it's starting to happen. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, for a long time, there was this thing of, you you know, the only good music was music by the great people, Mozart, Beethoven, um, you know, Bach, um, Brahms. (laughs) I don't really need to continue. You know what I mean? Hold on. Let me put my powdered wig on. Yeah. Yeah. much and not to in any way do down those people because you know a lot of people will think that they were the people who you know you should be emulating and you know a lot of the music education that you have is based upon those techniques of these great people um but what we often forget is they were the people who were the rule breakers they were the people who were the rule breakers who moved music forward in a different way. And actually by emulating them and by thinking that they're the only people who can get it right, we really miss out on a new wave of what music can be in the European classical style. And so, I mean, Schoenberg, Schoenberg sort of, um, for people who don't know him, he was the person who you could potentially say he broke music a little bit in the uh, in the 20th century he turned around and said you know what I'm not going to write music that the audiences like if they can listen to it easily then I'm not interested they've got to be able to think and it put off a lot of people as well as you know pushed music in an interesting direction but I feel like we have been fighting since then to kind of come back from that and kind of regain our audience again but yeah that's that's what people mostly think you know white male upper class and dead. And just so that we can, you know, keep going with this, hey, we'll be blunt thing. Yeah. Um, are, are you a man? Nope. Nope. Uh, are you white? Nope. Uh, are you dead? No. Nope. <laughs> are you from Austria? No. You don't check any of the boxes. None at all. None at all. And you know what? This is something I'm still working on, that I, I didn't think I would ever be successful because I was not white and I was not male and because I wanted a family. I never thought I would be successful. And it's only now, 10 years into my career, that I've gone, wait a second, I don't need to be those things to, you know, to write amazing music and to connect with amazing people and to get work. 
Mm. I mean, that's all it is. It's not about being famous. It's not about, you know, writing the score to, you know. Titanic. Titanic. I mean, I was <laughs> I was like, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. I was like, which one do I choose? I mean, Birdman, if I'd written the score to Birdman, I'd be a happy woman. I mean, that's an yeah. amazing score. But, you know, so... um. You know, I mean, and and I'm I don't get me wrong, I'm I'm a film and TV composer. I, like that's what I want to do, but actually, what will push me forward in life is connecting with amazing people. I don't want to connect with people who, who don't believe in my talents, and I don't want to connect with people when I don't believe in their talents. And it's about creating human relationships and creating incredible art and connecting with our audiences. And that, for me, is what my job is about. And it's not about being white, male, single, dead from Austria yeah <laughs> or living in London <laughs> I guess that kind of starts the conversation about how you are challenging these norms mm. so one you were just born challenging these norms by yeah. <laughs> who you came out as yes um, and the fact that you decided to pursue this channel anyways mm. not just music but specifically composing yes because as a non-white non-male person it would be normal we'll put quotes on that for you to pursue music. But composing is something else, I'm guessing. And the field of composing is something different. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I I feel like it's an interesting one, the field of composing and the field of, field of performance, because um, I am not a performer mm. at all. I mean, okay, you know, get me up on stage and I'll sing. And I sing well. I'm a, prof- I, you know, I can sing professionally um, in the jazz jazz genre but I haven't studied it and you know I don't do it for work anymore I used to do it for work and actually whereas I enjoy it I really enjoy writing music um and I sing within my music I sing within my 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 compositions but I feel like performance is about being perfect um you know obviously there are different different traditions different genres around you know jazz is 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 a slightly different uh way of looking at it but in terms of where I studied which was you know in the European classical um world it's about being perfect you have to perform it perfectly and yes you can have your own interpretation of things and you know and that's what people do respond to and audiences do respond to well that interpretation that individualism that a performer brings but it's within certain parameters parameters. yeah Yeah. so um as a composer I feel like if you try to be perfect you don't get anywhere composer is a different way of looking at the world you have to be willing to make mistakes you have to be willing to um, try things and to really trust your gut as to whether you like it or not and to also trust your gut in in <laughs> in response to you know you're going to get criticism you know <laughs> you're you even we, we had this term when I was studying it was a thing of you'd watch a piece of music oh what did you think oh yeah it was really interesting and that basically meant I didn't like it <laughs> And and when you're studying, there's a lot of that that feedback. You get feedback from teachers. You get feedback from performers. You have a lot of pushback from performers who go, I can't play this. And you're having to deal with their fear. Even if eventually they can play it, you're giving them something completely new that they have never come across before. And you're then saying, make this yours. And they're like, I, I don't even know how to approach it because it's so different. Um, mm. So you've got to really be open, not only for your own 
musical ideas, for having trust in your own musical gut, for trying things and, you know, quite publicly getting it wrong. Um, for example, if performances don't go well, <laughs> you know, you might get a bad review. But also it is really about connecting with your performers as well as your audience. So, it, you know, there's there's this saying of a composer in, I, in an ivory tower but I feel like actually that's wrong. A composer mm -hmm. cannot be in an ivory tower. A composer needs to be on the ground and interacting with as many people as possible in order to get an idea of what's happening in life because then you regurgitate the music and it, it inspires people because it connects to them and to what they're experiencing in their you know their day-to-day -day lives. What I'm hearing is the person you are, the fact that you were born female, not white what instead of saying not white for the rest of this interview yeah, what no. race do you what what race do you identify with yeah so uh you i'm mixed race um and some people call me black but i'm 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 mixed race with black caribbean heritage and white british heritage there so. we go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're born this way which means going into the field and the culture of composing you stand out yes but what I've just heard as you're describing kind of what it is to be a composer, not a performer, singer, songwriter, but the composer, it sounds like actually you are connecting directly with the original culture of composing, which is feeling the world around you, making music of the world around you, and rebelling a little bit against what others expect of you. Yes. And I think... I think you could definitely say that that's what I do as a composer. Yeah. Um, you might talk to other composers and they might have a totally different perspective on it, but you have basically, you've basically, you know, in a nutshell described what I look for in my music creation and what I am trying to embody. You know, it's all about that history with music and it's all about being just another cog in the wheel of, you know, humanity and of standing on my ancestors' shoulders mm -hmm. and creating an extra platform for other people to stand on, you know, not just in music, but also in life. Yeah, really connecting to the essence of it and seeing music as something that is, it is human. It is a human thing. And that for me is the most important thing about it. One of your reviewers, which is also on your website, said... There is so much emotion in your pieces. It feels as if you leave a small piece of you in each one of them. So the question is, what are those small pieces? What culture or influences do you pull from when composing? Who are you? Ooh. Ooh. The who are you question. <laughs> who are you? <laughs> um, you know what? I'm about to start quoting Moana. <laughs> I mean, if we need to break into song. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm a girl who loves my island. <laughs> Love Moana. Anyway, who am I? I so let's just let's just start off with the the facts because I think the facts will help me understand where to go next. But I am born to two jazz musicians. Oh wow. I grew up with my stepdad and my mum, and I have a really close relationship with my dad and my stepmum and my I've got three sisters. And my mum has been my musical inspiration. She essentially um, introduced me to so much music. She she has a love for music from all over the world. Um, and there was never this music is better than the other. There was none of that. There was no hierarchy. It was like, this music is incredible. Let's listen to it or let's play it. And she was very much about 
involving yourself in it. She ended up setting a, a community music organization. It's called Blue Jam Arts. And I grew up through this organization. And, um, and it was essentially started out as a band workshop. Kids come together. We all played something together. We learned something together. Um, there is no, oh, you are, you are good at this instrument. So you play this instrument. It was like, mm. what instrument do you want to play? Doesn't matter how good you are, pick it up, give it a go. We mm. all then were encouraged to be in bands and we would go write our own songs. It was all about creativity and all about there being no wrong. Mm. Creativity, no wrong. Everything you come out with is totally and utterly valid. We all listen and appreciate each other's music at the end. And that is essentially what I did for 10 years of my life. And I brought then that into me, into my music making and also into my teaching when I teach composition. You know, there is no wrong. Even if you're writing for, you know, an exam, there is no wrong. You start off with what works for you and then you move it to something that they might need to kind of, you know, get tick boxes. But so I suppose it's about being clear about who I am and the essence of myself and then being honest and vulnerable within my music to ensure that it connects with people. I know I keep saying connecting, but what is, you know, what is life without relationships? Right. Um, so, yeah. And in terms of genres, I love folk music. Jazz music comes through. <laughs> yeah. Folk, jazz, pop. I'm quite happy to uh, to uh, sing in my kitchen to, you know, the, the randomest tune that you might think a composer would sing to. <laughs> my husband often rolls his eyes at me and um, and he's a he's a, a jazzer as well. And he has a very much more refined taste than I do. But I don't know, for me, it's just about melodies and fun and feeling the emotions in my body so if I feel it in my body then yeah I don't know if that answers the question <laughs> it definitely gave a great picture to what kind of foundation you had and I mm. think whenever we hear about people who have been successful in whatever field it's always interesting to know well, well how did they get started mm. and often we hear a story about it is from day one the encouragement from the parents the support of family and community and that really builds someone up to be successful. And it's so important, especially for me as a parent, to hear that, that, you know, we can start having these positive influences on who our children will become, whether or not that's for money or career or whatever, but we can start encouraging them to seek out creativity and things now. Yes. And yeah. I think that's so great that you had that foundation with the family and this community that your mom set up. Great to hear about kind of the foundation of you. Yeah. And then were there any things along the way, you know, either from your cultural heritage or the experiences you had in life that contribute to how you make music or what inspires you to make music? Music has always been an output for me. It's always been, um, you know, something that was meditative. I'd come home from school and I'd just sit down by the piano. It was either watch TV and, you know, zone out or sit down by the piano and zone out. <laughs> it's a balance. And, uh, yeah, it's a balance. <laughs> and I'd come home and the, the time when actually it stopped um, was when I was studying for my A-levels. And I really put myself, I really said, you cannot compose anymore. You have to sit down and revise and you have to sit down and do this. And actually that flow really stopped for me then. But I went to university. Uh, I studied composition at Guildhall School of Music and Drama and, um, you know, was taught a great deal of things that were just incredible. But, you know, at that point, it's very much learn how to 
write music, whatever is going on in your personal life, you just get those deadlines hit, you know, yeah. and, you know, and looking at different styles and lift, looking at different techniques and skills. And I was set up really, really well there. It was absolutely fantastic. But then also, you know, you get burnout in that kind of a situation. And I remember um, I did a year of composing after I left. I think I had like seven commissions in a year, you know, small commissions, but they do add up in terms of how much you're putting out. And I, I ended up really, really struggling. A lot of stuff happened in my personal life. And in the end, I just went, I just need to stop. I just need to, I don't enjoy writing music anymore. I was just mm. absolutely, totally burned out. Um, and I stopped and I didn't write music for about two to three years. So I sort of did on and off, but... I just thought, you know, I just need a break. And um, I did some other stuff. And then my husband and I were uh, having a baby and the baby didn't survive, unfortunately. Oh. So yeah, the baby was born at um, 20 weeks, a little boy, and we named him Marvelous. Oh, And uh, yeah, <laughs> he's gorgeous. Mm. And he was just absolutely beautiful. He was yeah. absolutely gorgeous. And we called him Marvelous John. Oh, that sounds like a children's book. You should yes. write a book. <laughs> that would be lovely, wouldn't it? Um, and so, um, yeah, but it's not a, you know, when you say, oh, Marvelous John, but it sounds like an adjective. It's not. It's, it's two nouns together. <laughs> but, um, and I call him Marvy for short. Oh. And uh, oh. what's, yeah, <laughs> what's really nice is that my kids, my son, uh, who is, five now he talks about him as if he's always known as a big brother you know so he's really kind of alive in our world but he was who kick-started my writing again and that's for me you know I had some pieces beforehand that you know were me and were written for me and uh really connected with people and myself as well but actually it's from that point that I I, I wrote in order to get through my grief I wrote um, a song cycle called Songs for Marvelous. And actually, those are the works that have had the most um, response. Because, mm. yeah, I think I think when something is that raw and, you know, you have to outpour it somehow, people really feel it. Um, and that has been a great, It's it's really been great for me in terms of my relationship with my son because... It means that he's remembered in some way rather than him being lost to time. You know, it's exactly what I wanted for him. I wanted to remember him. Yeah. And also it just meant that I had to be true to myself. There was no way that I could do any music after that, you know, that wasn't true because I survived so that, you know, he died so that I could survive. And I really felt that I had to prove that my life was worth his. And I really felt that I had to show him that I was would make the most of it. Yeah. So it really, it really turned my life around in that way. I mean, it took, you know, <laughs> I still deal with it years later, but, but, you know, he's been a real positive force in my life because he's just made me go, come on, mum, <laughs> get a move on. What are you doing? You've got this beautiful gift. <laughs> Share it, mum, you know? So, um, yeah, it's wonderful. But yeah. that's, that's probably what that quote was about because she was talking to me about one of those pieces. Yeah. Yeah. He sounds like, not just a little piece, not just a small piece. No, no, no. My children are definitely my guiding, my guiding forces and not in a way of blaming them or putting any sense of responsibility on them at all, but more that this is how I teach them how to be human. Yeah. By not 
accepting things that does not sit right with me in the world Mm. or in my life. It sounds like we should step back a second then to Mm. that idea of challenging the preconceptions. Yes. (laughs) It sounds like, you know, when you got back into this scene, thanks to Marvy and the inspiration he brought you, that you came in with a fire. Oh, yes. (laughs) And you were ready to say... I'm going to do it the way it feels good for me. Mm-hmm. What changed about how you approached composing after that? Well, when Marvie was born, I found my love for writing music again and my love mm-hmm. for writing music for me. And also I was able to find uh, my own voice in terms of being able to trust my own voice rather than it just being what other people thought of it. Mm. When my son was born, my next son, first living child, he fired me up because I was going to prove that being a mum didn't mean that I couldn't do it. Mm. So with him, I was like, I can do this. I'm a mum, but no one's stopping me. This is absolutely not, you know, I can do this. And then when my daughter was born, I realized that, yes, I can do this. And also I'm going to do what I want to do and not what other people think I should do. <laughs> so, yeah, I have grown as, a compo- uh, grown as a composer as my family has grown. And each child has taught me so much more. And, yeah. um, and I've really, you know, as you know, when you're a parent, you have to really learn about who you are in order to not bring your rubbish onto your kids. You know? <laughs> oh, so my gosh. You, you said so much with that sentence just there. <laughs> You know, it's so true. People say, oh, I need to read a parenting book. I need to read a parenting book. It's like, no, you need to go to therapy. That's what you need to do. <laughs> There's no parenting book at all. Go to therapy. Learn about how you were parent- parented and learn about your triggers and learn about your traumas. Heal from those and then you'll be able to parent. That's all mm-hmm. you need to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's one of the things with balancing cultures. And I've said it in interviews before. It's like when you have kids, you're confronted suddenly mm. with all the influences from your life, all the cultures, and what you want to take forward with you. Yes. You have this kind of line drawn in the sand, and it's like, well, who do you want to be now? Who do you want your children to see? What culture, what values, what traditions do you want to pass on to them? And yeah, I think becoming a parent is that huge line in the sand where you have to do a little bit of self-evaluation. Yeah, a lot. And it sounds like... (laughs) Yeah, a lot. lot. (laughs) And it sounds like you did it not just personally, not just within kind of your family dynamic and who you are as a mom, but you did that self-evaluation of who am I also professionally. Yeah. And how I represent myself when I'm going out into the world and making music. Yeah. And also, you know, I've had to... I've had to fight through so many personal barriers. And I, I really want to be open about this, you know, I haven't experienced explicit, you know, you can't do this job, you're a woman. I haven't Mm. experienced explicit, you can't do this job, you're black. But I have had those microaggressions. I have had, um, you know, that being passed over for stuff. But it's, it's been stuff that, you know, you go, it's all, it's all in my head, it's all in my head. But it's not in my head. And actually, the thing I've had to work through the most are my own personal barriers because of what I know is happening in the world that I'm not party to. 
but also there's that's my own personal barriers that are getting in my way it's like oh I'm not I'm not deserving of this why am I not deserving of this well I've never been told that I should be able to do it or I've always been told that you know women find it harder so even if someone's encouraging me I know it's going to be harder for me you know and I had this moment my, my podcast was actually born out of this moment of reading the stats for women composers in like the top grossing films and and it was it was women and uh women with an x and in you know lots of different roles in film making but in you know the 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 top grossing films and basically you know we were like tiny there was there was hardly any of us and then we went to composers and it was something ridiculous like two percent or something ridiculous like that I mean don't quote me on that but I remember seeing that number and just going this is ridiculous I have no chance I have absolutely no chance and it's not because of the music I write not like the music I write comes not comes into this not a jot at all I have no chance I was so angry by it and I thought I just needed to find a way of creating a community that meant that we could find a way of kind of moving forwards and then George Floyd was murdered and Breonna Taylor. And for me, Breonna Taylor really struck home um, as well as also but the fact that she's female and her name doesn't come first. There's all of that intersectionality in terms of racism, sexism and how, you know, it all piles on top of each other to kind of deepen that oppression. And I just I was just I'm not standing for this anymore. Mm. I am not I'm not going to be invisible. I will not be ignored and I'm going to find other people who will not be ignored anymore. That is it. The time Mm. of the dead white man is done, you know, it's over. And I think that segues perfectly into the next thing I really want to hear from you. I think we're already on the path. Here we go. (laughs) Because you wrote in your profile, we, and you said it earlier with Mm. another question, we all stand on our ancestors' shoulders. Mm Mm-hmm. And so the question is, do you feel a responsibility to uphold or to advocate for your culture, either in life, work or both? And we've just started talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, but we can Mm. talk about anything you feel with this. Yeah. I mean, I I grew up in a white society. Mm. And so in terms of my culture, I find it very hard to you know, obviously I have my lovely childhood memories and I have, you know, I have more than I think I do. And this is something that I'm really learning at the moment that, um, you know, there are lots of different ways to absorb and to internalize racism. And I'm hopefully starting to come through my own identity crisis (laughs) or at least realize I'm in an identity crisis. For me, it's not just about black people it's not just about women it's not just about you know you know those are the people these are these we we are the people who are in the media currently you know and I'm, I'm I'm but I also think when we find our moment in the spotlight we need to create space for others to stand by us mm. that's how I feel So my moment in the spotlight is that I happen to be a black female composer who, you know, is getting a lot of attention at the moment because of Black Lives Matter and people going, oh, look, we need to change our practices. And I'm they're like, we've got one. She's over there. Yeah, pretty much. I'm benefiting from it. And, you know, I've loved all the work that I've done. So don't get me wrong. I'm not in any way ungrateful for it. You have earned this as well. (laughs) I have earned it as well. You've also earned it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I think what I'm saying is people have noticed 
that my music is good. I am no longer invisible because mm. of my sex or because of the color of my skin. And actually my music is starting to speak to people because the other barriers are falling away or at least are being highlighted in some way. And I hope that that continues. I hope that people aren't just thinking this is a, this is a, um, you know, it's not a phase. But I'm also not naive in any way. I'm aware of what's happening and why my career is doing quite well at the moment. And I'm going to take it, you know, my turn. I'm going to take it. But it is my job as someone who has experienced, you know, a level of oppression to use the privilege that I do have to give space for other people. And I need to learn. I don't know enough about um, people with disabilities. I don't know enough about um, people who are non-binary. Um, you know, I don't know about other cultures who that have been oppressed. I, you know, I know that there's stuff that I need to learn. Me too. Yeah, me as a woman living in the UK, I need to learn, you know, as a person living in the UK, the top, you know, 1% of the world of that, of that, you know, level of wealth, even if I, even if I'm not necessarily there in my own, my own country, um, I know compared to other people, what I experience, the level of privilege that I experience is that. Yeah. So that for me is what my podcast is about, Beyond the Chameleon is about, is about going, hey, I'm in the spotlight now, let's make some room. There's room on this podium for other people. Yeah. And that that for me is so important. And that's why I feel like, you know, the standing on my ancestors' shoulders, I know that my ancestors were slaves. I also know that on my British side of the family, it's very possible my ancestors were slave owners. <laughs> you know, I know that there will be that level of of um level of difficulty in my in my family. But you know, I, I want to know more about that. But I also know that. I am where I am because other people strived to make their lives better for their children. You know, there was that sacrifice. There was that working towards a better future. And that for me is where I am. I need to continue that journey. There is no future without me trying that and without all of us doing it. And, you know, the media is so influential. If we can get more people behind the screen, in front of the screen, you know, doing all roles, if we can get a real equal, you know, true snapshot of society in the media industry we're not talking about like you know putting white people down or anything like that <laughs> we're talking about having equity you know true true snapshot of society in front of and behind the scene exploring different cultures not just the same old trope story again and again and again then we will make change so that's that's my that's my place and you know yeah I'm a composer I'm like <laughs> bottom of the heap in terms of importance although the music is important but you know I come in at the end and like do my thing and but actually I'm making such amazing connections having these conversations so I continue and one day I might do producing of my own we'll see you know that kind of thing (laughs) I want to take what you just said which is bottom of the heap and I want to throw that in the trash okay thank you (laughs) (laughs) because I think we all have a voice And I think you are doing wonderful things with your voice. And it doesn't matter if it's only one person, which I know it's not just one person, (laughs) who hears you and truly hears you. You've made a difference. Yeah. And that's not bottom of the trash heap or whatever we want to call (laughs) it. You know, you don't have to be a super duper influencer movie star to make a real difference. No. No, you don't. And you're right. And I think I just have to keep sight of that as well. You know, yeah. it's, it is it is hard because sometimes, as you probably know, sometimes it does feel like we're just, you know, talking into the, 
Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Into the void. Oh, yes. <laughs> and our closing question, as a composer, as a mother, as a human being, mm-hmm. and more, <laughs> what does balancing cultures mean to you? Oh, balancing cultures. I think balancing cultures is, I wanted to use the word culture and change the meaning of it for me in terms of the cultures of the different areas of my life. Yeah. So, you know, as a mother, as a wife, as a person, a human being, um, daughter, should have said person, human being first, but you know what I mean. And um, I mean, this is in no particular order. No. (laughs) (laughs) But I used to, you know, I used to very much feel like very guilty about taking time for myself, Mm. about going to yoga class or, you know, even just sitting down and not doing anything. Even if I needed to do that, I would feel really guilty about it. Same. Yeah. And I mean, I have to say, you know, COVID has been hard, but it has made me, it has physically made me accept that self-care is a necessary part of my life. Mm. So that's what it means for me to really get rid of that guilt. It's okay to ask for help. And it's okay to tell my children, you're doing my head in, <laughs> you know, give me a break. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like balancing cultures to you is is also, which is very important, balancing guilt. Mm. Oh. And yeah, really understanding that having boundaries mm. and having clarity around those boundaries and your needs is balancing the guilt that normally is associated with having those things. Yes. And trying to balance to the point of not feeling guilty about yeah. having those boundaries and those that, that clarity around them. Yeah. Absolutely banishing it. Yeah. There is nothing positive that comes from that. And in fact, you then pass that guilt onto your children and onto your husband or your mm-hmm. partner, you know, or onto your loved ones. If you don't hold your boundaries, you cannot have compassion. Yeah. Because you haven't got compassion for yourself. And I'm guessing that you take this concept with you outside of the home as well. Oh, yes. And you've learned to health to set these healthy, productive boundaries in the composing world as well. I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come the back a year. <laughs> We'll come back for part two. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To be continued. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, it's, it's, it's this thing of, I now know it in theory, the Mm -hmm. feelings are less, um, you know, you, you know it in theory, then you get to the point where you could do it most of the, oh, you could do it some of the time, but you feel guilty and worried about it. Then you get to the point where you could do it most of the time and you still got a bit of feeling of guilt or worry. And then you get to the point where it is second nature to you. And I feel I'm probably at that point between some of the time and most of the time. And I'm getting some inklings of second nature coming through, which is really nice. But um, but yeah, no, I I feel like you need to have hard conversations because hard conversations on the other end is gold at the pot, you know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You've got those hard conversations and you've got to get through them. Um, And they're hard conversations with yourself. They're hard conversations with other people when you need to keep your boundaries firm and also when you need to put down new boundaries that you didn't realize you needed. So, mm. yeah, I'm I'm learning in that way. Um, but I feel that I'm a better composer and I'm a better person to work with for that reason. 
Yeah. Well, that's why from the start I called this balancing. It's active. Mm. We're not balanced. None of us are. No, no. (laughs) And as we go through life and we start a new career or we have children or we have partners and move countries or whatnot, Mm. the balancing shifts and needs to realign and rebalance. Yeah. And it sounds like you've been doing that at each stage of your life from, you know, the community group that your mom set up to university to Marvy to now. Yeah. I feel like. I understand more about what balance is and it's not a be all and end all. It's not about staying in the middle of that balance. It's about understanding that you can keep moving and you can keep being flexible. And if you're off balance, it doesn't mean you've made a, you've made a bad decision. It just means that you've learned something new and Mm. you can kind of, Oh, shift back a little bit more. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm getting there. Well, I wish you luck in all your future endeavors. Thank you. And I just want to say your insights have just been so amazing. As in, I've said, I've just rambled and, you know, verbal diary, uh, verb, ooh, I was going to say verbal commented, but verbal diary had came out, sorry. And then you've come back to me and just come back to me with these nuggets of just wisdom. And it's been so great to talk to you. Thank you Aww, so much. Thank you. A big thank you to Ella for sharing her story. I hope it motivates others to follow their creative pursuits, even if they don't feel they fit the mold. My chat with Ella had an extra tangent not included in this episode that will be available in the More Than Balancing group on Patreon in July. Links to sign up on balancingcultures.com. If you like what you heard today, consider leaving a review on your favorite platform to help share these stories. Thank you for listening. This was Balancing Cultures, and I'm Megan Kitchen. Mm-hmm.